This discussion of peer-reviewed literature of antimicrobial use in practice was sponsored in part by Alanco Animal Health. We appreciate their support for these podcasts as well as creating decision tools to promote appropriate use of antimicrobials in food animal practice. Welcome to After the Abstract. I'm Brad White, joined by Dr. Brian Lubers, and we're going to talk a little bit about a paper today that deals with metaphylaxis and how to make some of those decisions. Yeah. So not to put you on the spot, Dr. White, but this is actually your paper. So paper I chose for today is it's titled a mixed treatment comparison meta-analysis of metaphylaxis treatments for bovine respiratory disease. And I guess I'll just kind of start. So, you know, in episode one of this podcast, we talked about kind of the method for how we are going to look at papers. And again, we're not trying necessarily to get into all the nitty greedy details of this science, but really from a practical perspective, is the information in a particular article something that would be useful to me either in my veterinary practice or in my operation? right? So that's our overall goal. And we used another paper that you had written that was published in JAVMA back in 2015. And we're going to kind of reference that flowchart about how we go through this paper for today. But again, the paper for today, authors were Caitlin Abel, Miles Thur, Bob Larson, Brad White, and Mike Apley. And this was published in the Journal of Animal Science in 2017, issue number 95 in the pages are 262 to 235 if you're interested. So the first step is basically to look over the abstract and is that relevant to my scenario? And, and right away in the abstract of this paper, the authors listed that the objective of the project was to evaluate the effects of antimicrobials approved for parenteral metaphylactic use in feeder and stalker calves on morbidity and mortality for bovine respiratory disease. And there's a little bit more to that, but I want to stop there. So if I have questions essentially about comparing different metaphylactic use antimicrobials for the control of bovine respiratory disease, This uh, right away, I think this is probably something that would apply to me. Absolutely. And I think that's something that everybody thinks about is which drugs are better than others. And one of the impetus for looking into this paper is the rule of thumb is I expect metaphylaxis to decrease my morbidity and mortality by 50%. And is that in fact accurate or not? Because there wasn't a lot of literature out there that actually showed how much does it reduce my morbidity and mortality. Yep. And so I want to finish that objective sentence because I'm going to turn this podcast back on you a little bit. So the way that the author group, yourself included, went about this was to use a mixed treatment comparison meta-analysis. So can you kind of walk us through the methodology for what you guys did in this paper? A meta-analysis is not something we've talked about on this podcast before. And I think even the way that you guys approached this meta-analysis was slightly different than what I've seen in other types of meta-analyses. So let's break that down a little bit. Yep. The meta-analysis is where we take existing literature and we use it kind of in a combined fashion. So for example, if I was looking at implants and their effect on growth performance, then I might have two, four, six, ten studies that compare the exact same implant, implant A to implant B, and then I could start grouping those studies together and say, hey, yeah, here's how much difference I would expect A versus B or A versus control. So that's the meta-analysis part. The challenge comes in is we have several drugs that are approved for metaphylaxis, and often because in the metaphylaxis scenario, because of animal welfare issues, because of other issues, 
we may not have a negative control or we may not have a group that doesn't get metaphylaxis. So we compare drug A to drug B. Now, drug A to drug B, well, I don't know how either of those compare to drug C. So essentially what we did is we went through a process that mixed treatment part of this is if you think about kind of that old math equation that we all had to go through in, in high school where somebody said, okay, I know that Brian is taller than Brad. And I know that Brad is taller than Bob. Well, now you could kind of figure out how does Brian relate to Bob because you have one central point that's the same. Right. Now, that's exactly what you do in the mixed treatment analysis. Okay, good. And I want to go back to something you said earlier about a meta-analysis itself isn't uncommon in the literature. And we actually, in some schemes, they put it as a higher level of evidence than a single randomized trial because essentially what it is is it's trying to combine multiple randomized trials, right? And so you can do a clinical trial and find one result, but if you repeat it, you might find a different result. And so the advantage of a meta-analysis is it combines multiple individual trials to come to a, what we hope is a single conclusion, right? So, and, and I'm going to follow up a little yeah. bit because in this paper, one of the next things we're going to do is go to the figures. If you actually have this paper, figure one has several figures that looks like spider webs and it actually shows what are some of those comparisons and how often did those things occur. And that's how kind of the relationships work. So you have to have enough literature to be able to do a meta-analysis. In the case of metaphylaxis, we're using the word meta. Uh, yeah, we are using a lot of meta. But in the case of metaphylaxis, there's literature out there, but there's not as much that compares between some of those different drugs. Yeah, and that was the point I was going to make. So again, referencing figure one in this paper, if we look at those spiderweb graphs, you can see that some of those comparisons, like we have one particular comparison where there were 13 studies that looked at a particular antimicrobial versus a control. But in some of these cases, we have one where it compares between two different antimicrobials. And that was one of the things that you guys pointed out as a limitation of this study is when we start talking about six or eight different drugs approved for metaphylaxis, there isn't a huge body of literature out there available. And when you look at the spiderweb graphs, you can see that some of the nodes are bigger, indicating we have more studies and some of them are smaller, meaning we have one or just a single study for that particular comparison. Yeah, absolutely. And I think as you follow down our flow chart, so we talked about it in this case, we looked at the abstract, but we want to go beyond. So we already dove in a little bit to the figures and tables. And there's some other figures there that talk about some of the results that would make it clinically applicable, right? So right. if you look at figure two, which compares some of these different drugs, what do you see there, Brian? Yeah. So I think, you know, figure two, if I were coming to read this particular publication from a perspective of, is there information here to help me make a change? And either as a veterinarian or a producer working with a veterinarian, it's the question that you said at the very beginning, we want to compare the different antimicrobials. And so, yeah, you look at figure two and there's actually four graphs here. Um, and they're, they're presented as, as box and whisker plots relative to an odds ratio. And so an odds ratio of one essentially means that antimicrobial didn't make a huge difference in whatever that outcome was. And as we get closer to an odds ratio of zero, then that antimicrobial had a positive effect essentially. And so you guys looked at cumulative BRD morbidity from zero to 60 days. You looked at morbidity from day one to close out BRD mortality, cumulative from day one to close out, and then BRD retreatment morbidity from day one to close out. And looking at these graphs, and I'll just kind of summarize in general, but in other studies have seen this and certainly the individual studies, you can see it too, where 
where it looks like there are some individual drugs and drug classes that do have a more positive benefit than other classes. And that was, I mean, I'm essentially repeating the conclusion that you guys came to, just kind of paraphrasing. But there are, I think with some of these measures, there are clear differences that some drugs are better than other drugs. And outcomes. So morbidity, you're almost always going to be advantageous to use metaphylaxis, mortality, and retreatment. That's not always the case, depending on the drug class you choose. However, back to morbidity, just because it's advantageous does not mean it's optimum. So if you get down to say you reduce, you talked about odds ratios. I think it's worth discussing that a little bit because the odds ratio doesn't tell you what your overall level of morbidity was. So if I have an odds ratio of 0.5, that means I would have about half the morbidity that I would have otherwise. Well, if I was only going to have 10% morbidity, then truly I only saved 5% morbidity, right? Because I cut it in half. Whereas if I was going to have 40% morbidity, I could have had 20% fewer calves I treated. So it's important to think about in those odds ratios that really they are dependent on your baseline underlying morbidity. And in this case, as you mentioned, it kind of shook out that there's a couple different broad categories of drug classes as far as being really pretty effective, moderately effective, and don't seem to be making a huge difference. I'll let you as a listener go look at the paper and kind of figure out how you interpret those because we didn't actually break them out into classes in the paper. Well, and that's a really good point to what you said earlier about the odds ratio. It's a percentage reduction, right? It's not an absolute. It doesn't tell you anything about absolute. And so if your question is, if I'm trying to select between two different drugs, which one might be more effective based on this particular outcome, then maybe this is useful information. But if your question is, should I do metaphylaxis or not? If you have a very low morbidity up front, then there are other things, you know, you think of things about like cost of the drug, the labor involved to, do, to administer metaphylaxis. We might think about the antimicrobial resistant selection pressure. There are other pieces of information that you need, like these graphs alone wouldn't answer those questions. If it's which one is more optimal based on this outcome, then I think this is pretty useful information. So, and ask the right question. That's what you're saying. And I would combine that with, it's got to be the right interpretation. So you look at some of these and there are differences in what they look like on the graph. There's a table on the next page of the manuscript that describes the exact numbers. But for some of those, there are very few statistical differences but there are some meaningful ones, which is the next thing on our flow chart, right? As we think through the materials and methods and looking at some of those results, what are some of those differences? There can be some pretty meaningful ones. Well, and I want to go back to a comment you made about the odds ratio. And when you get low numbers of studies, and maybe this doesn't always apply, but on these graphs in figure two for this particular study, they're, again, I said they're presented as box and whisker plots. Maybe we should describe that where the box represents a mean or something like that. And then the bars that come out from that represent a standard deviation of that mean estimate. And when you see standard deviation bars that are very wide, usually that's because there's a lot of uncertainty. And the reason there was uncertainty in this particular meta-analysis is probably a limited number of studies, right? Yep. You see, yep. And you see a lot of overlap, not a, not a lot of differences there. So yep. kind of working down our list, we've talked about reviewing the results, looking at the figures and tables. We talked about the materials and methods early on, so we talked about that. 
But one thing I want to talk, so with the materials and methods, the question in the flowchart is, is there appropriate control for bias? And the way that that question is written as applying to a clinical study, I don't know that necessarily applies to a meta-analysis, but one of the common concerns with a meta-analysis is that they are susceptible to what we call publication biases. And so if all of the published literature only shows a positive effect and studies that showed a negative effect either weren't published or couldn't get published because of that, it does bias the data. And so it's not anything against the meta-analysis procedure that was done in this particular study or really any other study. It's just as a individual that conducts a meta-analysis, you don't know what the unpublished studies look like, right? And so we always have to assume generally the published literature is skewed towards favorable results, right? And so we would assume, and we said in our paper that some of these classes of drugs maybe looked better than other classes of drugs. But when we get down to where there's only one or two studies published, I always question, well, do they look favorable because the one study was really, really favorable and we didn't see the other clinical trial that wasn't favorable or there just was very little benefit. So, you know, I think as a general guide, what we see in figure two looks realistic, but we always have to keep in mind what we don't know or what isn't in the literature. So that's the only thing. And there's really, when you do the meta-analysis, there are some things that you can do to kind of look for publication bias, but it's very difficult to control for it per se. Yeah. You can't control for stuff you don't have. Although what we did in this particular one was controlled by bringing in articles that were randomized blind. I mean, so biases within the studies that you have certainly. And then, and the next part, as we work through our flow chart is experimental units. How did we handle? What was the data structure? Well, in this case, the, actually the experimental units and what we were looking at was individual studies and that they, they may have had multiple individual studies within a single publication but individual trials so different than a lot of things that we evaluate and you talked about the differences in meta-analysis different than a lot of things that we evaluate because in this case it's studies right and i do appreciate that one of the tables in this i think it's table one in this particular publication there's a lot of detail about the individual studies that were used for the meta-analyses. If I want to know, you know, how many animals were in that particular study and how many were assigned to each treatment group, what the average weight was, what the morbidity rates were, I can go and even if I don't think the overall meta-analysis applies to what I'm doing, it's a very quick reference for me as a reader to go say, well, maybe not all of these studies apply, but I can go pick out the individual ones that I want to go find a little more information about. Like there was a study that was done that had essentially 40 animals per treatment group, right? And I might just look at that and go, it's probably not enough numbers for me to feel confident in those results. But then here's a study that was done that had several thousand animals per treatment group, right? So I can go in without having to redo the entire literature search. I can go in and say, well, here's some literature that might apply and I can go basically do what we've done with other podcasts in this series and review that individual study. Yep. Go back and look at the individual pieces. So as we've worked our way through, it sounds like there's some useful information here, a little bit different methodology that's been done in others. What are a couple take-homes that you got from this, Brian, that might be useful in practice? Really the reason I wanted to pick this article for this particular podcast was because the methodology is so different. I don't want people to just focus on a a single clinical trial published result. There is a lot of useful information that come out of meta-analyses 
as long as you understand what the primary limitations of those studies are. So I really, you know, as far as useful information, I think there are some good things here. Um, it does allow people to do quick comparison of different drugs, different gr drug classes, as far as their effectiveness goes for metaphylaxis for BRD. Understanding, again, there's a little bit of taking that with a grain of salt because some of these, there's very few studies in that area. So I think, you know, my other take home, other than meta-analyses can be very useful pieces of information for somebody that doesn't have time to go do the entire literature search and find all the individual studies and evaluate those. The other one is it kind of gives me some ideas of where maybe the information, the scientific research is a little bit limited. And it does clearly in this paper point out which individual comparisons are quite limited. Yeah. And I might add a couple of things to what you sure. said as far as take homes are the BRD morbidity by day 60 and through the whole feeding phase matched up pretty well. You saw about the same information. So sometimes we say, well, I don't have the study all the way to close out. Well, the ranking order of the drugs didn't change based on those two time periods. So that's one take home. Two, there was some drugs that had that kind of expected 50% reduction in morbidity, but not all of them. Some of them had a higher than 50% reduction. Some of them had a lower than 50% reduction consistently. I'd encourage you to take a look at that and see which drugs might apply to your situation. Third, and lastly, the mortality didn't always show that same 50% reduction. And we know morbidity and mortality don't always go together. So I, I think that is something to consider as you're making some of these decisions. You've got to figure out what that baseline is to determine what's optimum. So thanks for joining us today, Brian. Great paper to pick and good discussion. If you have a paper you'd like us to talk about, you can certainly send us an email at bci at ksu.edu.